Hello there, my friends. I'm Jamie York, and I have the privilege of sharing with you today. These are unbelievable days, aren't they? The coronavirus pandemic and the ripple effect that it's had across the globe. For the first time ever, we are here recording the river without any of you women in the room. And I'm so grateful that we're able to leverage technology in this way so that we can stay connected and continue to dig into God's word together. But I've got to say, it is not the same without your smiling faces. It just is not. So I'm grateful to be together in this way. Um, I've been looking forward to connecting and, and, sh and digging into what Peter has to teach us. I've also put together a PowerPoint that should be available at the same place where you found this video and so that you can follow along. Um, verses, content, resources are available there if that's helpful. I'd like to first just pause and pray for our time. Dear Lord, before we dig in any further, I just... Um, I just recognize how much we need you during this time in our world, in our community. It is humbling and sobering, and um, also I'm so grateful for the ways that you have gone before us and brought us even to this place with this passage of scripture. Lord, I pray that you would um, guide and direct anything I share. You would strike anything that is not of you, and you would just carry it into the hearts and minds of everyone listening, right into the places where they live and work, into the relationships where we all operate. Lord, may it be to your glory as we spend this time together. In your name, amen. Friends, when Marianne and I decided just a few weeks ago that this would be my day, a day that I get to teach at the river, of course, we had no idea that Lesson 18 would be done this way. <laughs> we had no idea what would take place in the intervening weeks. And in fact, even a week ago, as I was sitting in my home studying and writing and preparing, I had no idea how things would unfold as the week happened um, daily. New examples of, of news and updates um, were coming out. While I found that Peter's message to us remained the same, that I'm excited to share, all of my examples or application questions or anything that I thought I might share suddenly seemed a bit ir irrelevant as just new stories were coming out of the news. Um, at the end of last week, I was distracted. I was trying to navigate some of this with my own family, trying to decide how much should we stockpile at Costco? Should we cancel the trip to Denver to see uh, my husband's 100-year-old grandma and celebrate her birthday? Should we be excited and like, Kids are out of school. Should we get in the car and road trip? Or should we stay home and lock down? And how do we do this? How do we navigate it? Emotions have been, just even moments ago, about an hour ago in my house, emotions were running high as nobody in my family had an idea of what to do. We were trying to make a decision. And we just had to stop and pray. It's just times like this where we don't know. Um, but truly, we are trying to make sense of it and pursue faithfulness as Christ followers in this day. All the while, you and I have been saturating in the words of Peter in chapter 3, verses 1 Peter, chapter 3, thir verses 13 through 22. And isn't it incredible that our sovereign God would have us sitting in this section of 1 Peter during this time? I pray it's been life-giving for you as it has been for me. 
I'd like to tell you it's been real smooth sailing for me and God and Peter as, as we've come to today. But, um, but honestly, um, it took a wake-up call in the middle of the morning, or early morning hours on Sunday for me to realize that I had taken this preparation to a next level, to a Jamie task level, and taken on a burden that was he- too heavy, um, really anticipating how I might share today. And God in his great grace and goodness... Um, woke me in the middle of the night. I was anxious and I was burdened. And he was so faithful to remind me of his words in John 15, 4 and 5. The paraphrase say, abide in me and I in you. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears, she it is that bears much fruit in this case. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That first came as conviction, I will be honest. And then it came as such freedom. Because it is true, apart from Christ, I literally have nothing of value to share with you today. Who am I? So I share this with you because the passage we're about to dive into in 1 Peter is packed with purpose and opportunity for us right now. And I pray that you'll be encouraged and equipped as Christ follower for today. But the order of things matters. First, abide. Then the fruit We have to hold on tight tight to Jesus and his word during these times as we navigate these ever-changing circumstances. We need God's wisdom to lead and and show us the way in our worlds, in our families, jobs, plans. Also, while having eyes to see those around us. I'm finding that Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 33, 34 just have taken on a whole new meaning um, in recent days. They are, starting in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. 34 says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. (laughs) Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That was good news for me in the middle of the night when I was anxious. Tomorrow will take care of itself. But it is true. Tomorrow really does have enough trouble for its own, right? We really cannot, in this current climate, plan much beyond today. And so, it's into this moment that we open our Bibles to 1 Peter 3, verse 13, and find Peter turning his attention to directly addressing the truth about persecution and suffering in the life of the believer. In fact, for the next few weeks in our river study, we'll be touching on this theme of suffering from different angles. And it's at this intersection, I've been thinking about it as an intersection of suffering and opportunity where we're going to hang out today. The intersection where just the rubber meets the road in faith. The places where the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus, supernaturally intervene in our circumstances, transform our hearts, and bring glory to God right in the midst of our real life by opening doors to shine a bright spotlight on Jesus through the testimony of hope that we have. And so my prayer is that we will be reminded this truth. Suffering in the life of the believer opens the door to great opportunity. All throughout this passage, as we looked at this week, is truth and wisdom. And so I I want to take a a note kind of at a high level, the opportunities that I think we can see. And then I'm going to spend most of our time really focused in on verses 13 through 17 as they're just particularly relevant for the days that we're walking right now. But at a high level, I see that we have first an opportunity to first believe and share the good news of Jesus. And that is what we'll talk about in verses 13 through 17. 
Second, I see that we have an opportunity to identify with Christ in his suffering. We see that in verses 18 and 19. Third, I see that we have an opportunity to mature in faith, verses 20 and 21. And fourth, we have an opportunity, an amazing opportunity, to remember the majesty of God in verse 22. So we'll start back there at the beginning with a deep dive into the opportunity that we have to first believe and then share the good news of Jesus. Starting verse, first in verse 13. In these five verses, I found what I think are five lessons. There probably are more with direct application to living a life as a believer in the times of suffering. Um, They're just all pointing the ways to how suffering might open doors of opportunity for sharing Jesus. So we pick up right in the middle of Peter's exhortation regarding righteousness. When he asks a very pointed application question, he says in verse 13, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? I think we, we, at this point, it will be helpful to think back to where we were a week ago when we got to hear from Marianne, and she put a list of nine virtues of spiritual maturity on the screen. And if you're look, following along in the PowerPoint, you'll see those listed there for your reference. But we can also use these, I think, another way of describing these virtues is righteousness, righteous living, um, virtues for righteous living, or being zealous for what is good. So as a reminder, those are back in chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. I'll just read them. Um, unity, having a unity of mind, living with sympathy and brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, a forgiving nature, a controlled tongue, a pure life, and a peaceful disposition. So you can see that when we ask that question, now, who is there to arm you, harm you for doing, being zealous for what is good? We can imagine, of course, that if the world were fair and just, this might just be the end of that discussion, right? If we lived according to these virtues of righteous living, if you're always pursuing righteousness, others should be pleased with you, and right? You see how that goes. But of course, this is where real life comes into play, and this is where Peter directs our attention. The world is not fair and just. We live amidst injustice in a world where selfishness and sin and COVID-19 reign. (laughs) As believers, we feel this tension because we know it's not as God intended it to be. So now we're at this intersection, and Peter directly addresses the reality of suffering as believers and this opportunity we have to first believe and then share the good news of Jesus. So I'll turn our attention to verses 14 through 17 and actually read through them all all the way through. And then we'll look back for some key takeaways. It says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So verse 14, I think one of the first takeaways we can have in this, um, when we think about this opportunity, is first, we should take a lesson that we should expect to suffer for righteousness' sake. It's bound to happen. Perhaps it helps soften the blow if when we just assume and prepare for it and know ahead of time and anticipate that we'll suffer and to know that other believers do too, even though it may not look like it from the outside Suffering is a reality for believers and non-believers. So if we expect it, that's our first lesson. And Peter 
tells us this right here. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, there it is. The second thing I think we can take away is that believers will be blessed by living righteously. This is good news, even if we suffer in the midst of this. So he's saying, I think that this way of living is just better when you choose to live in a way that, um, that is forgiving and has unity and pursues peace, you will experience depth in relationship, reconciliation, peace. Uh, While not in every circumstance, there will be a blessing, and it is a promise. So in an indirect way, Peter is challenging the believer to be zealous for what is good, even in the face of an uncertain response from others, and regardless of the outcome, because it's just a better way. So the application question that I have for you to think about is what would it look like for you to be zealous for what is good today as a Christ follower? At a time like this in our world, righteous living will stand out. Character is exposed. We saw in Matthew 6, 21, where it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's, what's in that heart is, is on, on display And might I suggest that using maybe this list of words for righteous living as a sort of prayer inventory, an avenue for pursuing righteous living in your own heart and as as an avenue for good in the world might be a place to start, might be a tool for you. So to transition, it might be that you're on board. You think this idea of living righteously is a good idea, that that makes sense. But what about the very real fear that you may be experiencing, that some of us really are experiencing. What about the fear about the precarious health situation or the uncertain job future, or even maybe the cancellation of activities and work that really give you joy and maybe even identity? The, the fear is real, right? It is. We are all feeling it in different ways. And so I love this next takeaway that I think that we can we can spend some time in, and that, that is in also in verse 14, it is that believers actually have an alternative to fear and anxiety. We actually have an alternative. In fact, Peter clearly states, he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Suffering has a unique way of exposing our character, we've mentioned, but it also exposes our fears. Wouldn't you agree? As that happens, we actually get to choose where we're going to put our minds. We get to choose to put our minds on the things that cause us to fear, which often are the things that are outside of our control. Or we get to choose to put our minds on the one who, in whom our hope lies. We get to choose. Friends, it is, it's quite a time because fear is having a heyday with our hearts and minds. The news is I call it fear-mongering. I know that's not my term, but we are bombarded with too much, and I'm just not sure that's going to change anytime soon. Therefore, we must train ourselves to bring the things that cause us to be anxious and afraid into the light so that the truth of Christ can wash over it. For the last few years, I've been more aware of the fears kind of lurking beneath the surface of my own heart and life, and I've been practicing. I've been trying to, when I start to feel anxious, I've been trying to name those fears and maybe even write them down. And I found that as I put my words into, or my fears into thoughts and, and uh, into words, I'm better able to shine truth into those places. So, um, there's actually a new book that I've been reading. It's called get out of your head by Jenny Allen. I brought it just to share it. And it's, um, 
isn't that interesting? Get out of your head. <laughs> That's right on topic for me. Um, it's full of practical help for helping us to take every thought captive as we're commanded in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Um, but in this book, there's just a simple activity suggested to help us develop a habit of naming our fears. And I thought I would share it with you. The first thing we do, maybe in our journal, is to name the thought or fear, to put words to it and consider sharing it out loud with someone else. The second is to ask yourself, is this thought or fear true? Is there truth behind it? The third is to ask yourself, what does God say about it? <clears throat> this is an opportunity you have to maybe pull some scripture or seek wise counsel so that you can replace that thought or fear with the truth of God's word as a tangible tool. And the fourth thing to do is to ask yourself now, am I going to choose to believe God in this matter? This is that follow-through question that sometimes we forget to do because we, we've got our scripture, but then to, to actively say, I believe God more than I believe the thing I'm afraid of. This, this is, sounds simple, <laughs> but it's not necessarily so simple in practice. I know that, especially when we live in a culture that keeps bombarding us with messages of pandemic and political fallout and moral decay. And there's much to be anxious about. But the truth is, our God is bigger. He is greater. So the question I have for you is, do you need to bring your fears out into the light? Is there something you need to maybe try and grab hold of and, and, and put a name to so that you can allow God to speak the truth into your circumstances? Um, we really can choose to stop in our tracks and ask, what does God have to say about all of this right now today? Some of the verses that I've had running around in my heart and mind when I start to get anxious, I've, I've included on your PowerPoint, but I want to say, say them here. The first that I love, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. First John 4, 4. Another is John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's just incredible news. And we need to choose, are we going to believe God in this way? So another key takeaway I think we can, we can take from these verses um, is in, um, in looking at the fact that believers discover purpose in the midst of our suffering, both for ourselves and for others. So I'd like us to look at verse 15. Now it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So I love this verse. I, it's, it's a favorite around, around here. Um, the first thing I think we can see is that we have pur there's purpose in suffering because in it we find a renewal of our own hope in Christ in shared communities. So let me explain that a little bit, this renewal of our own hope. So Peter tells us to replace our fear with honoring the Lord Christ and by sharing the reason for our hope. So both of these are a remedy for the fear and trouble that we experience in the world. Not only are we able to capture those thoughts and bring them into the light, we're, we're able to then get ready to share the reason that we choose hope instead with another person. And in the process, it, renews our, it, it just renews our hope, right? As we prepare to share with others, it first bolsters our faith and our hope. And I believe that Peter's reminding us of the power of authentic community. When we share with another out loud the fear and subsequent faith we're choosing, 
the power of that dark thought doesn't have the same hold over us anymore. So in the sharing of our fears and hope are a part of building faith. Isn't that just beautiful? I think of a time when, um, actually I think of an example, and many of you would fall, fall into this category. Um, some, some of my close friends, of, of those of you who have walked through d- divorce in recent years, <clears throat> or really ever, your heroes of mine, who have chosen to press into community in times of your deepest suffering and pain and disappointment. You've shared the reason for the hope that you've had with me. You've actually chosen to believe God over the fear that was very real and the sadness and the disappointment, but you chose to, and are still choosing, to trust in that God um, that you put your faith in. And as you've done that, and know I've seen it bolster your faith, and boy, it's bolstered mine to be in community with you as well. And so this is the power of sharing the hope that we have in Christ with each other and in community. I just love that. God, it's just up, upside-down way that God has given us, and it's so life-giving. Um, the other way that I believe that we um, experience purpose in the midst of our suffering is by thinking about how God's going to use it as we share the reason for the hope that we have with others. We get to do that through what I'm calling gentle and respectful discipleship, because that's the word that, that Peter used when at the end, with gentleness and respect. As we share authentically the reality of our circumstances, our suffering, persecution, it actually creates space for another to do the same. Whether they are a Christ follower yet or not, this cycle of honoring Christ as Lord and sharing the reason for the hope that we have is a reciprocal experience, or it can be. As we authentically share our fears and hope, our faith is strengthened and another is invited to do the same. We can pray for eyes to see others and really see them and then learn to listen well to them. The thing is, I know you're doing this. That's what, as I've been thinking about some of you and um, the stories that I've heard about how excited you are when you get an opportunity to share in your workplace or with your, with your child or with your husband or, or a parent even, I know you're already doing this. You have been studying, we have been studying God's word this year, James and 1 Peter thus far, but many of you have been studying God's word for years and you've been living life alongside others believers and not yet believers, your moms, your wives, your daughters, your friends, your community group leaders who open your home regularly for others, your co-workers, your doctors, your nurses, the, the list goes on, those of you out there, and you have relationships with people that you care about, and that is, those are the foundations for where spiritual conversations can happen for just a time as this, like Esther talks about, just a time as this that we are living in right now. You are already uniquely equipped to share the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. And that makes me excited. I hope it makes you excited. I've recently picked up another book. I'm not a huge reader, but I I happen to have two great books right now. (laughs) Um, And it's called Good News for a Change by Matt Michelotis. And the subtitle I just love, it says, is how how to talk to anyone about Jesus. It's a helpful tool. Um, I've, I've actually included in your PowerPoint, a the last slide is a resource, suggested resource list, just things that have, have been making a difference for me, so that if you want um, to take a closer look at any of these books, um, they're noted in the PowerPoint. 
I found that it's a helpful tool. It's a e pretty easy read, full of stories of um, people coming to faith, but it's a helpful tool for stripping away any preconceived notions you might have about what discipleship or evangelism is supposed to look like. Turns out there's just no limit on the ways that God calls people to himself. It's so cool. Sharing about Jesus may sometimes be a presentation, but in our day-to-day -day walks of life, I'm experiencing it to be a gentle and respectful open door of opportunity about hope in a broken world. So I thought I'd share a few pointers for this type of gentle and respectful discipleship that I got from Michelotis' book. The first is ask good questions. Let people share where they are in life. We don't have to try and assume. We can just ask them what they need, ask them what they're doing, and then really listen for their answer. I have a cool example of this. Um, recently, uh, in, uh, on vacation with some friends, um, we found ourselves having dinner with another couple people that we had met at the resort that we were at. And um, I don't know how the conversation got to this point, but the gentleman said, one of the gentlemen said to us, um, he said, well, I'm an atheist. He's a brilliant man, and he proclaimed that he's an atheist. And, and, and then later in the conversation, he said, but I, but I have a Bible on my nightstand. And we all kind of, those of us in the room were um, a little bit shocked, but a friend of mine later in the conversation, this all just kind of happened freely, a friend of our, mine later said, you know, I'm curious, we're, we're all Jesus followers, and you're an atheist, but you have a Bible on your nightstand, why? And it opened up this beautiful conversation just about spiritual things. It was fascinating to hear some of what had gone on in his life and the life of his wife. And then um, we didn't have opportunity to, to present the gospel as we might have imagined, but we had a vibrant spiritual conversation that allowed us to have insight into his world. And so that, that's the type of thing that we ask questions and it opens up new insight. The second thing we can do is build a relationship, not an agenda. Authentic friendship is a starting point for sharing the reason for the hope that you have. Michelotis in his book says, you don't make friends so that you can share the good news. You make friends because they're people you care about and want to get to know. And you share the good news because they're your friends. So isn't that a cool way to think about it? The third thing you might think about is just take your time. The good news often starts out small. The good news is a seed. And we've heard before, God is the one that grows the seed. Fourth, we, we want to be sure that we put people before any kind of presentation or plan that we have. Evangelism and discipleship is always about people, not about the plan that we have for sharing. And then fifth, ask permission to go deeper. This is a great way to show respect for your friend. So I, I keep thinking about a time that when I was in grad school and had the opportunity during finals week that I was in the car with two of my closest friends at the time. One was Jewish and one was atheist. And um, we were just talking about other things, but everybody was stressed because it was finals. And one friend looked at me and was like, why are you so peaceful at a time like this? You should be more stressed out. And I remember the fact that she used the word peace triggered for me that this could be a God moment. <laughs> I remember just thinking, Oh man, here it goes. And I asked her, I said, well, do you really want to know? Because it has everything to do with my faith. And she said, well, yeah. And who wouldn't want to hear about peace? And we got to have a cool spiritual conversation. And so I did ask because I didn't know if she'd want me to, to, to go in that direction with that conversation. But thankfully, God opened that door. 
So friends, the application or question I have for you is truly we have an unprecedented opportunity right now in our world. All people are feeling vulnerable and uncertain about the future. Our response in the midst of our own vulnerability and uncertainty and then trust in Jesus is a testimony to everyone around us. The opportunity is great in the midst of suffering. And how will you respond to the opportunity to share Jesus with those that are in your close proximity right now during this time? I just picture that each one of us lives next to neighbors. We live next, we, ha- we have family in our worlds, extended family that we're reaching out to and connecting with. What kind of opportunity might God have for each of us? We are the church. You are the church. Right now, we don't get to gather as we love to do in the traditional ways that we love to do, but we can do that virtually, and then we can gather and at least connect virtually via text or video message or something to those that we're in close relationship with. And I just think God is going to do cool things that we never imagined, just like he promises to in his word. So... um, If you respond to this question, the question I asked was, how will you respond to the opportunity to share Jesus with those in your close proximity? If you respond to that question with more questions about discipleship or uh, ways that you might want to connect in Bible study or small groups, if if we're allowed, (laughs) I have, I mentioned, included a few resources or places that you might start, including reaching out. I would love to hear from you if anybody wants to brainstorm over the phone or uh, via text about how you might equip yourself during a time like this for such a time as this. Um, Also, you might leverage our Facebook page, the River Facebook page, to share prayer requests or God stories of how God has opened a door for you. I would love, we would love to hear how you're experiencing God move out in your places in the ways that he's uniquely equipped and enabled and opened doors for you. The opportunity is going to build our faith together as a community. So then we turn back to 1 Peter 3.17 and see one last lesson on how suffering equals opportunity. We find that believers find ourselves in God's will when we suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. So verse 17 says, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And isn't this the place where we want to be as believers, right in the center of God's will? And whether it's in suffering or not. So thus far, we've taken a deep dive to discover five lessons about this truth. Righteous living amidst suffering opens opportunities to believe and share the good news of Jesus. The remaining verses of our passage are worthy of deeper consideration. I mentioned earlier that we don't have the time to dig deep into all of them today, but I do encourage you to. There was excellent commentary about the rich truth that is found in the rest of this passage, but I have loved thinking on these three additional opportunities that are afforded to us as believers in the midst of these trying times, and so I'd like to close by sharing them with you straight from the passage. And keep in mind that as we navigate the current state of our world— weathering the storms of suffering and new, in, new news coming out every, every day, every moment, and possibly even persecution right in the places where we live with neighbors, friends, and family. We have some incredible opportunities. Um, one, in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness, or sorry, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So we can 
know that our opportunity is in identifying with Christ in our suffering. We can, we can enter that, we can imagine in our own small way, sliver of an opportunity compared to his great sacrifice, that as we suffer for righteousness, we can, we can praise him for, for what he suffered on, behalf, on our behalf. Next, we have an opportunity to mature in our faith. So this verse 21 says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I think about this baptism as a, as a symbolic washing, um, renewal, reconciliation, maturing in faith. It is sanctification. And... Um, it's not the removal of dirt. It is a washing away of the old and, and stepping into new life with Christ. And then the last opportunity we have is to look to heaven to remember the mad, our majestic God. Verse 22 has us just, I love that we end in this place. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him? This is Jesus, whom we serve, friends. He is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Stay connected to him, and he will bear fruit through your life. Abide in him, and he will abide in you. Let me close this in prayer. Dear Jesus, we just come before you and praise you and thank you for your word that stands the test of time and transcends all generations and comes to us today for such a time as this. Please lead us, each of us, as we live in this cultural moment and at this intersection of suffering and great opportunity. Please show us how to trust you and engage with others during this time to love others well. All for your glory and grace. We praise your holy name. Amen. Thank you.